We are in... <clears throat> We're in the first lesson of our new series called Truish, and uh, we did a Truish series last year. We talked about the thing, the whole point of the Truish series is to talk about, uh, from a biblical perspective, talk about things that people say. And last year we talked about the theological aspects of how to deal with money, what the Bible says about money. And this year we're not talking about money, but we are still talking about things that people say. And, and these things that people say can be true ish they have enough truth in them to uh to cause problems to be believed but there's they're not true enough to where you can make solid decisions on them and not expect to run into a problem and so these truish things that people say cause difficulty in people's lives who believe what is being said and uh, a couple weeks ago we had a marriage conference here called the one conference and we used a little bit of technology to have a little fun and, and to see how people would respond. And so up on the screen, there was, a, there was just a blank screen. And we asked people to text in one word to a number that would describe your day. And so if, if people said my day was, they used the word great, then the word great would appear on the screen. And every time someone texts the word great, it would get a little bit larger on the screen. And so the, the more people responding with that particular word, the bigger it became on the screen. And when all this was said and done, on the screen you could see the biggest word there was the word stressful. Stressful. Stress is a real deal in our lives. It's a real deal in our world. And people say stuff about stress. And here's something that people say about stress. They say life is stressful, stress kills, and you can't avoid it. Anybody here remember the stress kills advertisement campaign years ago? A couple people, thank you. I was all by myself in the last service. It was really sad. How many people know what stress feels like, though? Mm -hmm. You don't have to raise your hand, but... I mean, just a, give, if you can't give a Pentecostal amen, just give a Baptist nod. That'll, that'll work. Um, I haven't said that in years. I have no idea where it came from. Anyway, the, uh, somebody might be feeling a little stress right now. And so I think that what we're going to talk about today is going to help. And over the next three weeks, today and two more weeks, we're going we're to talk about living a stress-free life. The fact is that the idea that stress kills or that stress is bad is not true completely. Some stress is good. The stress that you put your muscles through when you exercise is actually good for your muscles. The stress that you put your mind through as you learn new material is good for your mind. The stress that you feel whenever you're coming up to a deadline and, and, and sometimes it can make you sharper and, and more decisive. When Christy and I are uh, making a decision, we, we operate in very different ways. And, uh, and she's heard this twice already, so don't feel like I'm going to get in too much trouble. <laughs> Keep too much-ish. <laughs> that was funny. And so when we look at a problem, when I discover there's a problem, I want to handle the problem today. And if the problem has a deadline on it of two months from now, 
then I will still handle the problem today. Why wait for two months to deal with a problem that you can handle today? Christy, on the other hand, has a slightly different version of doing this. She'll realize the problem and she'll say, the deadline's not for two months. And so she will think about the problem and think about the problem and analyze the problem and think about the problem. Then she'll come to a decision of what needs to be done with the problem. Then she'll think about her decision and analyze her decision and contemplate whether it's the right decision from every possible angle. And then she will decide it is the right decision. And five minutes before the decision situation becomes a crisis in the world, she will do something about the decision. And I've asked her many times, why, why do you wait so long? And her answer is always, I work better under pressure. And she actually does work very well under pressure. She does great under pressure. I just wonder, why do we need the pressure? (laughs) But that's for another service. When people say I'm stressed out, they're not talking about healthy stress of exercise or learning new things. They're talking about what most of us feel when we get stressed, and that is that the resource of our life is not big enough, not great enough to answer the demand on our life. Here it is on the board. Stress is that feeling experienced when one perceives that the demands of life exceed their resources. We don't have a problem if we know the resource is there. If the bill is $14 and I have $75, I feel pretty good about it. I, I don't get stressed about it. But when the bill comes in and it's $75 and I have $14, i am stressed because there's the difference there. When the, when the job is going well and, and I, I seem to know what's going on in the situation, I feel good. I'm confident. I'm certain. But if I feel like the job is too big for me and I don't have what it takes to help make it happen and be successful in it, then stress is the result. If you're going to the prom and you find out at the last minute that your shoes don't match your dress, stress. You're driving down the road on the way to a date and realize your car's on E and if you fill up, you're going to be late and if you don't fill up, you're going to run out of gas on the way. Stress. See, the, the, the negative thought about stress, or the incorrect, I should say, thought about stress, is that it has to be some kind of a world-changing situation that will cause stress to rise and occur in your life. But that is not at all true. There just has to be a discrepancy between the resource that you have and the demand that's being made on your life. And most of our stress comes from little bitty decisions that are happening on a regular basis. I'm just a little short on this. I'm just a little short on that. I'm just a little short on this. I'm just a little short on that. And before you know it, we are stressed out completely. I hope nobody in this room knows anything about what I'm talking about. Our world talks about dealing with stress. But its solutions are usually avoidance solutions or distraction solutions. 
or building a coping mechanism to help navigate through the solution. So you say to somebody, I'm so stressed out, and they'll say, do you have a hobby? Get a hobby. Go play golf, because that's less stressful. (laughs) Or they'll say, oh, that's stressing you out? Just stop thinking about it. Just get your mind off it. Stop thinking about it. Well, if I could get my mind off of it, I wouldn't be talking to you about it right now, and I wouldn't be stressed about it at all. (laughs) Telling people, someone that's stressed out, that they're not stressed out, or that they shouldn't be stressed out, doesn't lessen the stress in their life. This is also why some people turn to drinking or drugs. No one in the years that I've done ministry, not one single person has ever come to me and said, Pastor Mike, I just want to tell you, uh, when I was a kid, I dreamed of being an alcoholic one day, and I am so successful right now. (laughs) No one has ever said, Pastor Mike, I I dreamed of being a drug addict, and success on all cylinders, this is working out for me. No one has ever said that. What I've had a lot of people tell me is that the things of life spiraled out of control and the only thing I could think of to help navigate and mitigate it and calm me down and lessen the stress in my life was to take a drink here and there, was to do that drug here and there, and it became what it is today because I couldn't end up, wasn't able to end up controlling it. The fact of the matter is stress causes us to do different things. If you're in the place today and you're saying, well, I've been stressed in my life and so, you know, you're talking about different ways of self-medicating, but I'm I'm using medication prescribed by a doctor. I want to tell you, if you've been prescribed a medication by a doctor to help you manage your stress and manage your life, do not be ashamed of that. There is nothing at all wrong with that. If that has been, if that is helping you, then this should be a no shame zone for people who are using medication to deal with anxieties of life and depression in life and other mental and physical disorders in life. McCord Road Christian Church will not be a place that judges that negatively in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. But self-medicating is dangerous. It's dangerous. And if you think that stress just popped up on the radar a few years ago, you're wrong because the Bible is full of stress. Think about how Abraham was called to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar in the top of the mountain. So here he is bringing Isaac up the mountain. How stressed out must Abraham have been as he's leading his son to the top of the mountain to sacrifice him? How about David? David is a shepherd who is called and suddenly anointed as a king. Then he goes to serve to, to his brothers and finds out that he has to kill Goliath, which is no small thing. Goliath is big. You're welcome. I'm here next week too. Then after that, he goes and he serves the king, who then decides to kill him. He runs from the king, ends up, being elevated by God to become king, hiding in a cave, becomes king of Judah, and then ultimately Israel. And now you say, well, then he rose to the occasion. Here he is. He's king of all of Israel. David's doing great. Have you read the Psalms lately? 
This is a guy that is constantly crying out to God, saying, God, everything is against me. Nothing's working for me. Everything's going wrong. I need you to help me. What you're reading is somebody dealing with stress and turning to God for an answer. How about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? The Bible says that he's, he's willing to do what is right, but he is so stressed that he's dripping, as it were, drops of blood from his very skin as he sweats. How about the disciples who are leading the early church through this time of persecution as a church? What about the church itself who knows that if we keep doing what we're doing, the the authorities are telling us they're going to kill us? There's a lot of stressful situations in the Bible, but Paul gives us a little bit of understanding and direction in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 4. I'm going to give you a little context. Paul has been writing this letter to the church in Thessalonica, and he's giving them all these instructions. And then in chapter 4, he says, I want you to understand you need to live out the instructions that I'm giving you. Don't just hear them, but actually live them out. Then he says, but hey, kudos to you on loving people. You have really loved people well, church in Thessalonica. You do that in a great way. And then he starts in verse number 11. He says, in addition to loving other Christians, that's just contextualizing the text for you. It says, seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Why? So that you may walk properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone. So he's saying that if you can walk Rightly, properly, in the presence of outsiders, other people, and you're not dependent on anyone, that is, that is the purpose of what he's already expressed in verse number 11. He, he, he's telling you this will be the outcome of seeking these things, pursuing these things. So if stress is caused because we have a great demand and a little bit lesser resource, then what if we are living such lives that when we step out into the presence of outsiders, those who don't know us well, those who are strangers to us, we step out in total confidence, understanding that we can handle it, handle whatever it may be, and we're not dependent on anyone. How many people would like to live that kind of a life? That is a more stress-free life. Now, when I say stress-free, none of us are going to escape every moment of stress. But we're going to get into that here just in a a minute. The big idea, if you're a note-taker in your service guide, there's an opportunity to take some notes, and I encourage you to do so. The big idea today is that step one to stress-free living is to live a quiet life life. This isn't talking about noise in your life. It's not talking about whether or not you play music or don't. Christy and I, when we got away, we went to the hotel and we, uh, you know, closed the door and there it was silent and the TV didn't come on. We sat there and we read books and you just, it was just silent. It was so peaceful. It was beautiful. And I like quietness at times. I have Bose uh, headphones, noise-canceling headphones, and I put them on. And oftentimes, I'm not even listening to anything. I just have the quiet thing on. And it, and it keeps everything silent around me while I think and pray and, and study. I love it. I love quiet. But this isn't talking about noise. This is talking about a life 
free of consistent drama. You see, drama makes life noisy. It makes life unpredictable. In a drama-filled life, crisis is never far away. It's always just over the horizon. A normal day, a normal day in a drama-filled life is one where everything spirals out of control, and at the end of the day, you're, leaving, you're left feeling just exhausted, out of energy, completely worn out, just hoping and praying that tomorrow will be a better day. In a drama-filled life, even good days are filled and punctuated with moments of, of wondering, when will the next shoe drop? When, it, when, is, when is that bad thing? Things are going good right now. When is that changing? Everything at work seems stable right now. Oh, I wonder what's on its way. My kids aren't too crazy right now. Crazy's coming. <laughs> So even the normal day is punctuated with these thoughts of, uh uh-oh, if it's good now, what does that mean for tomorrow? Now some people say, well, wait a minute, a quiet life? I don't know if I want a quiet life. Quiet life sounds boring. It's boring like listening to some guy on the stage with a cardigan on. That sounds boring. (laughs) But it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. (laughs) Won't you be my neighbor? That sounds boring, <laughs> but you don't know. This is a cardigan, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> I thought so. So, a quiet life doesn't mean it can't be an exciting life where good, crazy and good things can happen. It just means that those things are controlled, that there is control in life. You can manage almost anything the world throws at you if you have some level of control. Controlled movement in a church, controlled movement in a a workplace, controlled movement in your body. Controlled movement means that things are working right, that things are going as expected or correctly. So when things are controlled, they're less stressful. Stress manifests as things begin to move beyond our control. And so here, this may be something you might want to take a snapshot of. On a snapshot of on the screen because it's a little bit longer. But a quiet life is achieved when the stress of activity, mental, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual weariness, or the feeling of carrying a burden is a situational event, not a lifestyle. Stress happens sometimes, but it isn't happening all the time. If you're living a life where every single day you're trying to just get through the day, that's a stressful way to live. And it's not how God's designed you to live. A quiet life is when that may happen periodically. You can't avoid everything. You can't avoid all stress. But it's not the lifestyle in which you live. And I have two thoughts for us today. Thought number one is this. You determine the kind of life You live. The scripture said, seek to lead a quiet life. Seek it. Desire it. Aspire toward it. And you do that by what you prioritize. What do you prioritize in life? You determine what kind of life you live 
by the priorities you have in the life you are living. I have five pictures up that I'm going to show you here just quickly. And when I show you this, the, the picture, I want you to just raise your hand if you think that could be a place that I could live. And I'm going to tell you why I'm going to do it. Because a lot of people prioritize their location in the world. Their location in the world. Here, here we go. Picture number one. Beautiful mountain, beautiful lake. There's probably an elk in there that just is dying to be eaten. I don't know. Um, if you, if that's, you could see yourself living there. Okay, several. Very good. How about the next picture here? This is Hapuna Beach in Hawaii. Anybody feel like you could do that? We lived about 10 miles from that beach right there in, in Hawaii. I know. Don't remind me. Hush. The, uh, nine years. It's a beautiful place, I'm telling you. All right, next picture. Uh, Central Park. New York City. <laughs> There's some New York City people that would like that. Some people just say, if I can make it there, I'll make it anywhere. <laughs> people like the city. How about next one? That's Northwest Ohio, farmland. There should be a number of hands. This is beautiful. That's awesome. All right, last picture, last picture. Sylvania, Main Street, right there. Raise your hand, Christy. There you go. Some people prioritize location. Other people prioritize situation. They say things like, when I'm the boss, there won't be any more stress involved. How about this? Pastor, I know I'm I'm really dealing with a lot of stressful situations right now, but when I get married... Stress will be gone from my life. I should not laugh about that. <laughs> How about when I make this amount of money? When I hit that income level, I'm, everything's going to be fine. Here's the problem. You imagine yourself living in the ambiance and receiving the perks of the location or the situation, but the stresses that develop living in those locations and situations are rarely considered. And here's the hard truth. Stressed out people live everywhere and do everything. It's not a locational or situational reality. The fact is, you and I have to decide that we're going to live a life. We're going to affect life versus being affected by life. We have to live lives that are going to make a difference by choice. Determine the life that we live. Choosing a quiet life allows you to determine your moments of greatest impact. You're not trying to impact all the time and you're not removed entirely. You're choosing your moments of greatest impact. Jesus, he lived a quiet life. And he impacted the world in which he lived in a way that no one else has ever done. The world's effect on him was limited by his own will. He said, I will let that bother me or I won't. Even his death was by his own choice. And you might say, well, pastor, that's really cool and all. But he was Jesus and I am not. But if you are in Christ and he is in you then Christ lives in you. That's the hope of your glory. That means you are empowered by the same Holy Spirit that empowered him to live a life that's beyond the normal life. You do not have to live a stressed out life. That's not why God created you and you can choose to live different by allowing the Holy Spirit to empower you and to live through you in Jesus' name. Praise God. He lived life on his terms 
And we get to live like he lived when we live life on his terms. Praise God. And that leads us to thought number two. A quiet life requires contentment. Contentment. And I'm moving quickly to the next screen. You might want to take a snapshot of it. Contentment is knowing that who, who you are and what you have is enough. The world does not want you to think that. The world consistently says you don't have enough. Who you are isn't enough. But you can be enough if you drive the right car, live in the right house, work the right occupation, etc. It's constantly pulling at you and pushing at you to receive more, to get more, to achieve more, to be more. But you are created in the image of Almighty God. You are enough because God said that you're enough. Praise God. But here's the enemy of contentment. The enemy of contentment that causes you and I to keep reaching for more. It's this little thing called lust. And when we, when we use the word lust, everybody automatically goes sexual. But that's not what lust is about. It's just the craving for more. For instance, when I'm sitting at the light in Chicago in my little Nissan Sentra, which has an awesome bass subwoofer in the trunk. And I'm, I'm blasting my sound, and it's awesome, and I feel so good about it. And then everything changes whenever I look over to my right, and there's a yellow Ferrari sitting there, right there. And Sammy Sosa is driving the Ferrari. And it says Sosa 1 on the back. So therefore, there may be a Sosa 2, Sosa 3, Sosa 4. And I don't feel so good about my Sentra any longer. And I'm also not hitting with a cork bat. But, you know, there's other things that go on. And so suddenly he takes off and my awesome four-cylinder power seems a little less impressive when the jet engine begins to go by me. Lust. And the Bible operates like, uh, talks about it like this. When we strive for more status, the Bible calls it the pride of life. When we strive for more stuff, the Bible calls it the lust of the eye. When we strive to consume more, the Bible calls it lust of the flesh. So I want us to recognize that the, the enemy of contentment is sin. And its foundational elements create much of the unnecessary stress in our lives. We can actually do without a lot that we have and that we want. So should we be complacent? Should we just say, well, forget it. I'm not going to even try anymore. It doesn't matter. No. The Bible does not call us to complacency. It calls us to contentment. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 17. I'm going to skip through this passage a little bit to bring it the, the total meaning into, uh, into uh, alignment here. So verse 17, it says, Each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you and remain as you were when God first could you say the next two words with me, please? Called you. Verse 19 says, The important thing is to keep God's commandments. Yes. Each of you should remain as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. 
He says, listen, if you're in slavery right now to anything or to anyone and have an opportunity to become free from that, take it. Take the advancement. Take the opportunity to better your life. Take the opportunity to move forward 100%. But verse 22 says, and remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, you are now free in the Lord. So your state of being on this earth is not directly related to your state of being in Christ Jesus. Then he says, and if you were free when the Lord called you, you're now a slave of Christ. You're not gaining or losing. You're only gaining whenever you see when you're connected with Christ, no matter what part of, uh, of the world that you're in. Verse 24, each of you, dear brothers and sisters, should remain as you were when God first called you. So he keeps pointing them at the place of their calling. That place where they knew that God heard, that they heard God. That place where they knew they met Christ. And that's what he's telling us. Paul's saying, listen, whatever you can do to improve your life, do it. But never at the expense of your connection to God. Here's a good summarization of it. Position with Christ is more important than your condition in life. Position with Christ is more important than your condition in life. And when you believe that, you can be content. You can seek to live a quiet life because you know you can hear him. It's why Paul could say in Philippians 4, not that I speak in regard to need, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. Paul knew what it was like to be without. And he knew what it was like to have gained much. And what he is saying is, as long as I can hear God's voice and he can direct my steps, then I know that I'm going to be okay. I know that everything's going to work out all right. I can live content because I can hear his voice. If I'm up or if I'm down, I can hear his voice, I'll be okay. He said my condition, my contentment rather, isn't connected to my condition, but to my personal relationship with Christ. So we come to a radical independence from the world through a radical dependence on Christ. So maybe, you, maybe you're trying to get into a particular school and the school said no. The only question I have is can you hear God's voice in your life? If you can hear God's voice in your life, then it's going to be okay. Maybe you've been seeking to get that new job and, and it just keeps evading you. My question is, can you hear God's voice? If you can hear his voice, then you can sit in a contented place knowing that he's got you, that it's going to be all right. Maybe you're pushing for a relationship. And you're saying, if I could just get that relationship, but it keeps avoiding me. I don't seem to be able to connect the way that I want to. My question is, can you hear the voice of your father? Because if you can, it's going to be all right. As long as you can hear him, who you are and what you have is enough. Because if you have Christ, you have everything. And this is why. And they're going to begin to play in closing. This is why Abraham could stand there at the altar and be content, holding a knife, looking at his son. Knife comes up, 
ready to come down and slay his own child. But Abraham, you can be content because you can still hear his voice. God says, hold on, Abraham. Now, if you can't hear his voice, the knife comes down, the son dies, the promise is over. But because Abraham could hear God's voice, God said, I'm not asking you for your son. In fact, I've got a lamb right over there. How about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane sweating those great drops, as it were, of blood? Father, I don't want to go to the cross. If this cup can pass from me, let it do so. I I, I don't want what this is. Wait a minute. But I can still hear your voice. And your voice is letting me know that if I go through this, this pain, we're going to see the greatest victory the world could ever experience. And because I can still hear his voice, I can go through the trial. I can go through the pain. This morning, in whatever situation that you're in, your carnal nature, your, your, you, you, this, what's inside of you may be screaming at me right now going, Pastor, you just don't understand what I'm in. You don't understand what I'm dealing with. You don't understand my problem. You don't understand the need that I have and the situation that's before me. I am telling you, God is the answer to every problem you don't even know exists yet. He's the answer. And I'm just, I'm just encouraging you by saying, if you can hear his voice, then he's got you. And you're going to be okay. You can relax and find contentment in the place that you're in because your father is not going to leave you there. If you can hear his voice, then the steps of a righteous man can be ordered by the Lord. And maybe you walked into a problem, but God will map your way out of the problem. I haven't felt this in any other service, but there is a heavy spirit of a heavy presence of the Holy Spirit in this room right now. I don't know who God is dealing with, but I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment. And Ben, we're going to sing a little bit shortened version of, of the closing song today. But if you're in this room right now and you're saying, Pastor Micah, you are what you're what you're talking about right now. Is hitting me right between the eyes. Could you just everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. If you could just slip up your hand real quick. I want to pray for you. His hand's going up all over this room right now. Thank you, Jesus. All right, put your hands down. Father, in the name of Jesus. speak peace that passes all understanding over the life of your your children that it would guard their hearts and minds I proclaim right now that every negative thing that would try to invade their life would have to pass through your peace before it can touch them I'm asking you mighty God to encourage hearts and minds 
Let us hear your voice today. Hear you calling us. And because we can hear you, we know we're okay. For those things that are causing such stress in lives right now, I pray that you would give wisdom. Wisdom to move into a quiet life. A life of contentment. I'm asking you right now, mighty Savior, that you would do in our lives what we cannot do ourselves. And we're believing you and trusting you for it. I pray that there would just be a release of stress in this room right now. That the Holy Spirit would encourage hearts and minds. You said, Holy Spirit, that Jesus said you would lead us into all truth. And so we accept that today. Open up our eyes to see truth so that we can walk in it. And that that tension can be released. We give you thanks and praise for that in Jesus' name. And let everybody say amen.